Good morning again. Great to be with you. You're going to want to grab your Bible and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2 if you haven't done that already. We're continuing on in 1 Peter. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. It's our gift to you. Make sure you take that if you need a Bible. Also, if you've not jumped in to get the most out of 1 Peter yet, we continue to invite you to do that. There's a reading plan. You can pick that up outside for your get online. Read through 1 Peter with us as a church. Now this morning, I've already shared a couple of times what we're going to be looking at this morning. It's really a continuation of a theme that Peter, Peter introduced last week. And just for context, here was the question that Peter asked last week. And we wrestled with it and some of you got mad at me and we had some good lively conversations about this, which was really good. And here was the question Peter asked, does it matter how God's people respond to our governing authorities does that matter Peter teaches us taught us through that last week a resounding yes he's speaking to these elect exiles here in the early church living in the Roman world and he's saying the way you respond even to those Roman governing authorities as believers matters for the sake of your faithful gospel witness it matters We looked at this verse last week in verse 13. He says, be subject, submit yourselves, he says, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We talked about that idea last week a little bit of submission. What that looks like, what that means. We had a big truth and this big truth is, it was what guided us last week. It's going to guide us this week as well. It's basically this, God's people submit themselves for the Lord's sake. God's people submit themselves for the Lord's sake. And last week we looked at what that looks like within the institution of government, how we submit willfully, honorably to those that the Lord has placed, those God-ordained institutions of authority. This week we're going to look at the marketplace. It's uh, masters to servants. It's in employer to employees a little bit. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. I want to give you a little idea of where we're going to be the next few weeks. I mentioned it in the prayer, but when we jump into 1 Peter 3, it's going to talk about what does this submission look like in the home. And it's going to give us an opportunity to talk about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. We're going to have a short little series, really, we're calling Men and Women of Living Hope. It's going to have, we're going to preach through 1 Peter 3. We're going to have some breakout sessions for you around some different areas of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And you say, oh, everybody in culture has a clear idea of biblical manhood and womanhood, right? Not even close. So we're going to be called to what Scripture says about that. We'll have, you'll love this, even a part of that series, a part of those couple weeks, we're going to have a spring date night for you. We're going to have some childhood set up and, uh, I expected a little bit of, yeah, guys, that's your chance. You'll hear more about that. But whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're single again in Christ, you are set apart to live out your hope through your gender and the specific roles that we are called to by Scripture. We're going to focus on that over the next couple weeks. But this week, here's the question Here's the topic that Peter's calling us to wrestle with this morning, and it's this. Does it matter 
for God's people how we respond when we do good, when we do right, and yet we're still treated unjustly. We're still treated unfairly. We're, we're still treated harshly. Does it matter how God's people respond when we're treated unfairly, unjustly, and harshly in this world for the sake of a faithful gospel witness? Now that's the tension or that's the question that Peter's asking. And Peter's going to answer it just like he answered it last week with a resounding yes. It matters for the sake of the message that you proclaim the life that we live. And one of the areas he's going to talk about is when we find ourselves in situations where we have done right, we have done good, we have walked godly, but we're treated unfairly. We're treated unjustly. Maybe we're even treated harshly. How do we respond? This is difficult for us to wrestle with. So I, I just want to read down through the text. We're going to have a few big ideas that will flow out of that. Start in verse 18. I'm going to read down through this. He's going to introduce a particular area that he's going to use as an illustration. We'll talk about that. And then there will be some big ideas that flow out of this text. And we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together in just a moment. All right? Verse 18. Peter says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. If you circle in your Bible that word be subject, that's the same phrase as used back in verse 13. So there's a theme that Peter is pulling through, and we've already talked about it. It's this idea of submit yourselves. That we humble ourselves up under God-ordained authority... For the Lord's sake, for the sake of faithful gospel witness. He says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good, not only to those that treat us well. Here's where it gets tough. But also to those who are unjust. Those who don't treat you so well. Verse 19 for, why would you do that? This is a gracious thing. When, I want you to catch this phrase. This phrase is going to be really important. He says, when mindful of God, mindful of God, conscious of God, conscious of your, of your, your divine creator, conscious of your Savior, conscious of your sovereign Lord, one endures. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He goes on, for what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Second time he said that, gracious thing. What does that mean? We'll talk about it. Verse 21, for to this you have been called. He makes no bond. He says, to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example or a pattern so that you might follow in his steps. 
he, verse 22, committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, treated unfairly, treated unjustly, mocked, ridiculed, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him, his father, who judges justly. He was mindful of his father. Verse 24, picture of the gospel. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the guardian or the overseer of your souls. Wow, a lot here. Hope you've been reading through this. Hope you've been praying through this on your own. Here's the question we have to ask again. Does it matter how God's people respond when doing right, we suffer unfairly, unjustly, and even harshly? Does it matter? Now, Peter's going to use an illustration here, and he's going to use an example in verse 18, and we're going to have to talk about that a little bit of the illustration he uses. Look at verse 18 again. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, the ESV here translates this word servant. Your translation may use the word slave. It's translated specifically, you could call it household servant now obviously you you come to that phrase and you might tend to stumble over that a little bit so let's talk about what Peter's using as an illustration here he's using the institution of masters and slaves as it existed in the Roman society now we come to that as Americans living in 2022 we come to that and we hear that phrase the institution of masters and slaves and we cringe and by the way we should so we hear this phrase and we cringe because we think of the wicked institution of chattel slavery in America where humans were trafficked they were bought they were sold they were considered as property they were mistreated or even killed when we think of the American institution of slavery and the notion that went with that, that one race of people had the right to enslave another race of people merely on the color of skin and this wrongful sense of superiority, we, we recognize that as deplorable and sinful and nowhere supported in Scripture. Okay? But when we come to what's being referred to here... In the Roman world, the Roman institution of masters and slaves, while filled with sinful issues, was very different from the institution of slavery in early America. I want you to know that. Give me some examples. One, when it comes to the institution of masters and slaves here in Rome, most were treated well. It was estimated that one-third of the population during this era were slaves or household servants. These slaves were generally paid and permitted to work for pay and could save up money and eventually buy their own freedom. 
They were often entrusted with immense amounts of money and responsibility. Think of the parables of Jesus, of how often he refers to a master and a servant or a slave and being over a house and given so much responsibility. That happened here. These servants were often well-educated, serving as the equivalent of modern-day physicians and teachers. Many, after gaining their freedom, continued to work for their former master and would take on the family name. They were called bond servants. A bond servant is someone who's been granted their freedom but comes and submits themselves back to that master willfully. But even in the midst of this very different institution of that day, often servants were mistreated unjustly by harsh masters. So Peter's going to use this reality as an example. Now I know you're zoned in with me, but I want, you, I want you to hear even clearly. Peter's main concern in dealing with this subject here is not to uphold or destroy the institution of masters and slaves in Rome at that point. That's not his point. His point is this. His primary concern is a faithful gospel witness within the structured orders of Roman society. Everybody take a breath say, okay, I think I, I, think I got it. Peter's not trying to dismantle that institution of the time. He's not trying to support that institution of the time. He's saying to those believers who found themselves in that institution, your primary concern is this. Are you living as a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus in that institution in which you find yourself? That makes sense? First question for them, first question for you, in whatever institution you find yourself a part of, whatever organization, wherever you are in society, how am I a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ here? Now watch, even before I claim my own personal rights, Everybody all right? Peter says the primary concern and what he's dealing with here is in these institutions of order in Roman society, how are you elect exiles living faithfully as a gospel witness that your life will support and back up the message that you proclaim in Jesus? And he says the way you respond in those institutions either validates the gospel message or it undermines the gospel message. Same for you and me. See that? So he goes on and he uses this. His main concern is faithful gospel witness. Now, let me add one more caveat because there's a lot here. We're going to dive right back into the text. If our primary focus in reading this passage is our personal rights human comfort, or even societal change, you're going to miss the point of 1 Peter 2 altogether. It's not what he's talking about. Faithful gospel witness. So then, his application then goes, moves beyond merely the early church in this particular institution, and his application then goes to all believers in all times and how we are responding to all different sorts of earthly masters, whatever arena that is that you find yourself in. There are principles to guide us in that this morning, all right? So let's continue on. Peter, help us here. 
We want to live faithfully in whatever place you've put us as elect exiles here in 2022 for your glory. Back to verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. The word there, respect, is literally all fear. And the fear is not directed toward the master. The fear is directed toward God who oversees all of it. It's this mindful of God idea again. He says not only to the good ones and the gentle ones, but also those masters who are unjust. Big idea number one is this. Jesus' followers submit to earthly masters with all respect. Jesus' followers, we submit, we yield ourselves under God-ordained authority now in this venue of the marketplace or earthly masters, those that are placed over us, we submit with all respect. Remember last week we talked about that word submission. We hear that word, we go, ooh, dirty word. It's a glorious word because that's a word that's used of Jesus himself. It is a willful yielding up under God-ordained authority. It is a recognition of orders and structures that God has placed in this society for his glory and for our good. There's an order to things. Let me give you an example really quick. Or quick. Colossians chapter 3. Paul speaks to this. He says this. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. He says, not by way of eye service. They'll do it for show. He says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, mindful of God. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That's a life-changing verse there in Colossians. Here's what Paul's ultimately saying is this. Your ultimate master is God Almighty. Wherever you do your work, wherever you're carrying out your activity, you do it as unto him, not just to please men. But in doing so, you honor those earthly authorities placed over us. See that? Now, okay, Peter, I I think I get the idea of what you're saying, that how we honor earthly masters and honor authorities matters. Okay, Peter, here's my next question. Which earthly masters? And he answers that. Verse 18, he he comes back, he says, Be subject to one another with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle ones. In other words, it doesn't take a lot of supernatural power from the Spirit of God to honor those who honor you. Jesus mentioned that, by the way, in the Gospels. He taught what credit is it if you honor those who honor you, but those who treat you harshly and unfairly. So Peter comes back and he says, yes, you submit to the good ones and those who honor you, but what about those masters who are unjust? The word unjust here in verse 18 literally means harsh. It means unreasonable. The ones who would treat you unfairly. The ones who... The ones who do not act in a Christ-like manner at all. Jesus' followers submit to earthly masters with all respect. Okay, Peter, so you're saying we honor those human authorities placed in our lives. We do it as unto the Lord. We do it to those who are good masters, good bosses, good authorities. But you're saying we also do it to those who want to treat us wrongly. 
You're, you're also saying it to those who might even cause loss in our lives. You're saying we treat those who might even have an agenda against us because we're believers. Is that what you're saying, Peter? Keep reading. Why would you do that? Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Peter says it is a gracious thing when the child of God responds in a supernatural way, an unnatural way, a countercultural way, when you're treated harshly and unjustly, particularly by someone who's in an authority over, as an authority over you. See that? Now keep going for the sake of a faithful witness. Now, he wants to have a little caveat here because some of you are thinking, okay, I... Some of us take advantage of this a little bit in our thinking. So in verse 20, Peter comes back and he says, okay, let me give a little caveat. Let me give a little disclaimer. We're not talking about harsh treatment that you might receive for being, how can I say it, stupid. <laughs> okay? That's not what Peter's saying. Look at verse 20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? He's saying we're not talking about a loss you might incur or something that might be taken from you or something that you might experience because you were a poor employee. Here's some examples. It's like this. He's not referring to any loss or consequence or outcome due to our own foolishness or our own sin. This is not talking about the employee who is overlooked for a, for a promotion because you're lazy. <laughs> you're always late. You're not doing your job well, and you're always backbiting, and you want to say, well, you know what, I didn't, I didn't get that promotion. You know why? I, I think it's because he knows I'm a Christian, and he just treats me unfairly, and it could be because you're a bad employee. That's not what Peter's talking about. It's not the, the student who receives a failing grade from their teacher because of failing work. <laughs> Say, so, well, I didn't, do well, didn't really do well in that class. I didn't do well on that paper. I, I think he treated me unfairly. I, I think it's because I'm a Christian. He knows I'm a Christian. You know, I'm trying to live, trying to be godly. Did you study for that test? Uh, no, I didn't. Not what Peter's talking about. Peter's not talking about the athlete who sits on the bench because of poor effort. Well, that coach is just treating me unfairly. It's not fair. I'm a Christian. I try to do everything I can. He won't even let me play. You've been at practice all week? No, I missed a couple times. You run hard? No, I don't. No. Okay, you get the idea. Peter's saying, this is not those because of foolishness you're treated harshly or unfairly. Now, keep going. He comes back and he says, end of verse 20, but if when you do good, If when you are living godly and righteously and honoring that authority, then you suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now again, let's, let's just stop right here and own this for just a minute as Americans who read the Bible from our American perspective. We can't help but doing that. The Bible calls us here to endure he says, if you're suffering unjustly or you're treated unfairly and you're experiencing sorrow that comes with being treated unjustly, the Bible says it is a gracious thing if you endure. 
The word endure means simply it means to remain. It means to bear up under it. It means to stay there. We struggle with that as Americans. Can we just own that and be honest with that? In fact, I was really thinking through this this week, and we talked about it a little bit even in our life group Thursday night, and, and the idea that we read some of these things, and we're so conditioned to respond a certain way, and we're so conditioned to react a certain way. Let me give you an example. In our Western personal rights-centered society, we struggle to grasp the principle of enduring well when suffering unjustly, unfair treatment for the Lord's sake. Sometimes we don't even have a category for that. Sometimes I wrote this down as well. We've been conditioned that our first response when we find ourselves in unpleasant situations, harsh treatment, unjust people, our first response is often our self-protection or claiming my rights. Now watch. Instead of how can I be a faithful witness to the gospel in this place where God has placed me? Maybe one amen, maybe just a grunt, something at that point. Peter's shifting our perspective here, which is so hard for us, from a self-centered, self-protection, self-rights, what are you doing, that's not fair, you treated me wrongly, to shift as an elect exile in a world that is not our home, when our first priority is you're treating me fairly, that's not right, to Jesus be glorified and honored in my enduring well. How can even remaining in this difficult situation or even under the authority of this difficult person honor and glorify you for the sake of the gospel? Verse 21 gets even more clear. Verse 21, it gets more difficult when we talk about this. Listen to what Peter says here. Verse 21, he says, for to this you've been called. What? He says, for this you have been called. The word called here is the same word used back in 1 Peter 2, 9, when it says you and I have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, talking about salvation. Yes, we're called to salvation. We rejoice in that. We sing in that. We sing about that. Here Peter uses the same word and says in the same way, Within your union with Jesus, there will be times that you are called to endure well when you're not treated fairly. And when you might be treated harshly for the sake of Christ. Big idea comes out of that. Here's your second big idea. It's this. Jesus' followers are called to endure well when suffering unjustly for the Lord's sake. Lord, help me get my mind around that. Lord, help me even understand what that looks like. Jesus' followers are called to endure well when suffering unjustly for the Lord's sake. Let me give you a quick, few quick illustrations. And I, I'll be honest, something else I wrestled with this week are appropriate illustrations of this. I don't want to misrepresent and try to make it too much in our modern day. But here's maybe some helpful illustrations would be this. Okay, what about that unfair boss? 
Though you are a model employee, you are treated disrespectfully, given unfair expectations, you're passed over for advancement. But Bible says maybe what you are called to is you do not slander, you do not pay back evil for evil, but because you are mindful of God, you show honor and endure well and ask, how can I be a faithful gospel witness here? It's not natural. Or what about you have that unjust teacher? Though you're a model student, you're ridiculed in class, you're graded harshly, you're treated with contempt, maybe you're even belittled or used as a negative example. We are called, we do not slander, we do not pay back evil for evil, but because we are mindful of God, verse 19, our ultimate authority... For the sake of faithful gospel witness, we submit well and endure well the glory of God. That's not natural to us. Let me give you a third illustration. What about an unreasonable spouse? Though in your marriage you show kindness, respect, and love, marriage turns out to not be all that you expected it to be. By your spouse, you're often met with unkindness, lack of consideration, maybe even harsh words. Maybe what you're called to is to not slander, not pay back evil for evil, not bail out, hang in there. But because of being mindful to God, for the sake of a faithful gospel witness, the call is to endure well. And let me parenthetically say... I am not saying this is a call to remain in a physically violent home situation. Physical threatening here seems to be in a different category. If that's the category you're in, seek help. That's not particularly what we're speaking of. But we are speaking of being in situations that potentially are unjust, unkind, not what we would want. And our human reaction first is, I've got to get out. I've got to claim my rights. I've got to change it. What do I do? It might be, Lord, I'm coming to you based on 1 Peter chapter 2. Empower me. Show me by the power of your spirit how to endure well and remain well for the sake of the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See that? Jesus' followers are called to endure well when suffering unjustly for the Lord's sake. Now, verse 19. Let me go back to that again. Why? Why is this so important? Why does this matter? Verse 19 again, Peter says it this way. For, here's his support of what he's saying, for this is a gracious thing. He says it again in verse 20. This is a gracious thing. Here's your third big idea flowing out of that is this. Jesus' followers demonstrate grace. By enduring well when suffering unjustly. What do you mean we demonstrate grace? It says this is a gracious thing. Three ways. Number one, you're demonstrating that God's grace transforms a person. In other words, when a person has a posture of denying self for the sake of faithful gospel witness, it is a picture of the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. We naturally will not do that. But by the power of Jesus, the watching world sees that and the critics are silenced and they say, there's something to that Jesus, that person is different. You demonstrate the power of transforming grace. Secondly, you demonstrate that God's grace is strengthening to you. 
in these situations that we find ourselves, verse 19, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God. Mindful of God. Mindful of God. Yes, I might find myself under an unjust master, boss, teacher, supervisor, spouse, whatever that is, but my ultimate authority, my ultimate protector, that that I can trust ultimately is God himself, mindful of God. And the grace of God is strengthening in those situations for his glory. And thirdly, we see that God's grace motivates here. Remember back in 1 Peter chapter 1 when we talked about set your mind, fix your hope on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we set our minds on that, the grace of God to be given to us, we realize that future grace is infinitely better than anything we might be called to endure in the moment. That future grace is infinitely better than any temporary hardship or unjust behavior God might call us to endure for his glory now whoo that's a lot so I don't even know if I have the power to live that way I, I, I understand grace I'm not even I don't even understand how all this fits together and then how how would we live this way in an ongoing basis Peter ends this chapter by this, he shows you and calls us to behold Jesus. See, the life of Jesus was this. <laughs> and that's Peter's point. He says, you now are an earthly representative to, the, to Jesus whom you claim. You are the body of Christ. And Peter gives reminders to us about the life of Christ that now lives in us. And in Jesus' suffering and in his enduring well, redemption advanced. God's purposes advanced. We were born again through his suffering. And Peter uses that as an example. So look at verse 21. We're going to walk down through this and then we're going to move into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper out of this time. So verse 21. Why are we called to this? Peter says... For to this you have been called. Why, Peter? Because Christ also suffered for you. Now he goes, and it's almost as Peter says, Stop, I want you to behold Jesus. I want your focus to be him. And he says this, In a fallen world for the purpose of redemption, in the life of Christ, suffering preceded glory. By the way, that's the pattern of God. Often suffering must precede glory. That was Jesus. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Into verse 21. Here's your final big idea is this. Jesus' followers walk in the pattern of Christ by enduring well when suffering unjustly. I'm going to ask the team to come on up and just to begin to play. We're going to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. But don't check out on me. We're going to walk down through the rest of these verses. Peter says, you want a pattern, you want a picture. The, the idea, in fact, the word here that's translated example in verse 21, it, it literally in that day, if you heard that word, you would, you would picture a piece of paper that was laid under a second piece of paper and you would trace over that first one and then pull the second one out and you would see a pattern of what you had traced. In other words, Peter's saying, here's the pattern. The pattern is Jesus himself. We follow that pattern by his strength for the glory of Christ when we endure well up under unjust treatment. 
Verse 22, okay, what was his pattern? Look what it says. He, Jesus, committed no sin. Neither was any deceit found in his mouth. You see a picture of the sinless Christ here. So any unjust treatment that Jesus incurred, it was completely unjust. He was sinless. He deserved none of the ill treatment he endured. Totally undeserving of any ill treatment. The sinless Christ was treated harshly. The sinless Christ was treated unjustly. Verse 23, when he, Jesus, was reviled. The word reviled, by the way, means to pile up, pile up abusive speech on someone over and over and over and over. Jesus was reviled and mocked and yet perfectly innocent. He did not revile in return, verse 23. When he suffered, he did not threaten. How did he do that? In verse 23, he continued entrusting himself to him, his father, who judges righteously, mindful of God, mindful of his heavenly father, giving us an example to follow. Dependence and the strength and righteous judgment of his heavenly father, he was able to submit and yield even when treated unjustly. Verse 24, here's a picture of the gospel, and this will take us into the Lord's Supper. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. The ultimate picture of unjust treatment. Why, why does Peter use the word tree here, not the word cross? Well, then that day, the idea, it was a synonym for the cross, but he's taking it from Deuteronomy 21 when it says, under the law, a murderer or someone convicted of crimes, they're to be nailed to a tree. In other words, Jesus was treated like a criminal, but yet he was perfectly innocent. The ultimate picture of injustice was Christ on the cross. He endured unjustly for the sake of your redemption. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. You have now returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. Jesus is the example. Jesus is the Savior. And Peter says he's also the shepherd that guards you through all of it to glory.